If you come to chapter 20, we come to a familiar story. We've seen this again. We've heard this again. This has happened again in, in, in regards to Abraham wanting to call his wife his, his sister. And really what we see in this chapter, we, are, we see in this context, the fruit of the flesh, we see this idea of fear. Abraham had feared for his well-being. And instead of looking to the Lord, he had resorted to the best of the flesh, the flesh's ideas of how to accomplish self-preservation. But we'd also seen that back in chapter 19 where we left off. We saw back in chapter 19 that Lot was afraid back in chapter 30. It says he went up out of Zoar in chapter 19 verse 30 to the mountains with his two daughters because he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. Later on in this chapter, we find in the next verses, we find that his daughters were afraid of the future because they said, we don't think we're ever going to get married. And they came up with this horrid, sordid plan to bear children and to carry on their mission as mothers. But really what we have in this, in behind the scenes in, the, in, these, in these accounts, these bad decisions and terrible and awful decisions that are being made is fear, fear, and more fear. Lot was, first of all, afraid of, apparently, the Lord. Because originally, looking back to chapter 19 where we left off, that Lot had requested to go to Zoar. God said, flee to the mountains. And Lot said, can I just go to this little city over here? We recognize, we talked about that last week. He didn't want to let go of his lifestyle. And he wanted to go back to the city life. And, and yet here we find him in chapter 19, verse 30, going to the mountains. Where exactly where he didn't want to go because he was afraid of something that might hurt him in the mountains. And here he finds him hiding in a cave. Apparently afraid of the wrath of God. That's apparently what he's afraid of. Remember, Lot had just experienced, you know, behind, behind him in the background, the horrible destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, where God rained down fire and brimstone. You know, brimstone, what's brimstone, someone might ask. Well, apparently it's burning sulfur, smoldering so sulfur along with fire in which he consumed those cities. What a horrible destruction that was. And there's no doubt that everyone around him, around them, as the news spread mouth to mouth and as they saw the smoke rising on the horizon, were afraid of the wrath of God. In fact, it very could be Abimelech and his servants' fear when we get to chapter 20, their fear of the, the possible wrong of, of Abimelech marrying another man's wife was in the back of their minds was the destruction that had happened for their immorality in Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's what happens when people become aware of the holiness of God. It brings guilt of conscience and conviction, doesn't it? And apparently that's, that's what Lot was experiencing. Now we know the Bible says we're to have the fear of the Lord, a deep and reverential awe for God, isn't it? That's a, that's a healthy fear. It's a respect for who God is. It is a respect for his holiness, but it's also respect for his authority and his righteousness. We're to live every day within the fear of the Lord, to respect him. That's why we listen to him. That's why we walk in his word, because we respect who he is. He's the eternal God who keeps his word, whose word never fails, who keeps his promises, and so on. And that respect brings submission. It brings humility. It brings you know, repentance and confession in our lives. You know, and Lot's kind of fear of God is an unhealthy fear, but it is maybe a healthy respect for God's holiness. 
Because if Lot wasn't willing to come clean in his life before God, he, he, had, a, he had the right to experience fear of God's judgment. And that kind of fear of what God's going to do is, is the result of sin not being dealt with properly in our lives, isn't it? It's a result of disobedience towards God. For the unbeliever, it's the issue of eternal forgiveness. For the believer, it's, the con it's a potential consequence of judgment or, or discipline from the hand of their father. We know what that's like. You know, when children, maybe some of you heard this, maybe some of you didn't, when dad's away and the kids disobey and mom says, wait till your father gets home. And that, when you, when you hear that, you develop a fear of dad. And maybe, for, maybe you would have it coming for a good reason. And, you, you know, you'd, you'd be sure when you see the dust coming down the driveway and dad's truck coming home that you're in the farthest corner of the 40 as possible. Because it's broken fellowship. It's exactly what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden when they were hiding from God, when they disobeyed him. And we should not live with that kind of fear. We should respect God in the sense that, yes, he will judge and discipline his children because he loves us. But for the believer, we're told the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, to come boldly before the throne of grace. We come boldly before him because we're accepted in the beloved, because our sins are forgiven, and we come before him. And it's interesting, that verse falls on the heel of the verse where it says, all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we have to do. God sees, God knows. But when we were willing to be humble and honest and deal with our sin, we can come boldly in the cleansing forgiveness of the love of God before him. And so Lot instead hides in a cave. Maybe God can't see me here because of the thick rock. He's hiding in a cave in, in fear from God. And too many believers hide from the Lord. Some of us just avoid church. Some of us avoid other Christians. Or maybe we focus on the failures and shortcomings of others to distract us from our own conviction. Or we just get busy droning out the voice of the Spirit who speaks through the Word of God and, getting, and keeping busy and having fun and all those type of things. But instead, how much easier is it to just to get right with God? Come clean before Him? He knows. He sees. Whither can we go from our, His presence, the psalmist tells us? Instead, we need to be right before God and enjoy Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, wherewith he has made us accepted in the beloved. And that's what we celebrate today, our acceptance in Christ. As we partake of the elements, we recognize that when we partake of the, the wafer and the juice that are representative of the body of Jesus that was broken under my sin, the blood that was spilt for my sin. And because of that, I'm forgiven and accepted in Christ. So Lot's solution should have been this, summed up in Psalm 32.5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Wonderful verse. God forgives, and God cleanses and restores, and instead of running from God, we can run to him in acceptance in Christ, because mercy is available. But Lot didn't do that, did he? Instead, he was living in a fear of the judgment of God. The next verse of the ch chapter 19 it speaks of Lot's daughters, their view of the future, their desire and need to be a mother to fulfill their, their, what their assumed role to, to populate the earth. But instead of waiting on the Lord, the flesh took them down a dark road. It's a sordid tale. 
They got their father drunk and bore children by their father, and it just doesn't get any worse than that, does it? It goes from bad to worst, worse. And yet, you have to, when you look at the story, and you look at the whole context, you have to recognize that these two gals were, con were conditioned by their parents' lifestyle, by their parents' choices, by what their parents accommodated in their lives, what they accepted as acceptable in their lives. And not that you can't blame them because they're free moral agents to make their own decisions, but their parents led them down this road to this path. It's quite apparent from this discussion. And so that's sobering, isn't it? They made a bad decision of where to live and, and the lifestyle to accept, which led, to be, which led beyond just tolerating the ungodliness and immorality, beyond just accepting of that immorality to participation in the ugliness and darkness where the flesh always takes us. And the flesh always takes us further than we need to go, all because of a fear. A fear is what's going to happen to me. What about being a mother? Well, the right answer may have been found in Psalm 37, verse 5, one of many verses, which says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. A familiar verse, but a simple verse, but a very important verse, because we all have fears of tomorrow, of things that we think that need to be fulfilled, need to be done, need to be accomplished, need to be experienced. The wonderful thing is we can commit our way to the Lord because he knows the future. He's in, he's in a sovereign control and care over our lives, and we can trust him. We can make the right decisions, even though we think they'll leave us vulnerable or unfulfilled and unprotected. And so once again, we see fear instead of faith, and the results are disastrous. In fact, the results are two nations that became the perpetual enemies of Israel. Well, then we get to Genesis chapter 20, and we see the fear continue, the saga of fear and the lack of faith continuing. We, so we, we could call this fear in each one of these portions anxiety, worry, despair, or whatever you want to call it. But once again, we see Abraham trying to preserve himself. But that's what happens when you marry a woman that's still beautiful at 90. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever seen in the store a uh, skin cream called uh, Sarah, Sarah, I turned Sarah skin cream, maybe you'd want to buy it because she was still attractive to Abimelech at 90 years old. But in this story, we've heard before, Abraham, Abraham had made this mistake once before, we find two more elements that we didn't see in the first account. First of all, the, we were told in verse 12 that they actually were half-brothers and half-sister. So, so Abraham was telling a half-truth. It sounds like justification to the max, doesn't it? A self-justified lie, which in reality is a deception because he didn't reveal the whole story. And that half-lie didn't mean anything to Abimelech, nor did it to the Lord, but maybe it was meant to appease Abraham's own conscience to think, well, I can be justified in going down this path. What is, what is lacking is faith, prayer, dependence, and making the right decisions, being a testimony before God. Abraham approaches town thinking there's, there, there's no respect no, of God in this place. And instead of thinking of the people there and how I can bring the message of the greatness of Almighty God to them, he's thinking about himself. And that's what the flesh does. Rather than be willing to be spent to be spent for the cause of Christ. 
And so we, so we, find, this, we find this element, that they really were half-brother and sister, which apparently was an acceptable marriage in that day. And, and yet, once again, God intervenes. He keeps, he protects Abraham from his own foolishness, his own lack of faith. He keeps Abimelech from approaching Sarah, and he reveals to Abimelech that she's already married. And in fact, also we saw as a result of, of discipline, he closes the wombs of the women in Abimelech's household. So this must have taken over a period of time, if that's the case. End of the chapter tells us that he restored what he had closed, the wombs of the women of his household. So this just wasn't a couple of days, was it? This happened over a period of time. But then as we get to this chapter, God approaches Abimelech in verse 3, and, and he says, you know, you're a dead man. That's, just, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? And Abimelech's innocent. He tells him, but God, you're going to destroy a righteous nation. We didn't do anything wrong. We, 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 we were deceived, he's trying to say, by a Christian. <laughs> and that's sad, isn't it? But you might ask, why was God so harsh? Well, first of all, only God knows us in the heart of people. Sometimes we look around us and think, why does God let this person get away with this and is harsh, hard on this person? This person doesn't have trials. This person has severe trials. And, well, we know God is always just in his dealings. And he knows the heart. He knows his ways and our ways. And we have to trust him with that. But there might be another reason. And I think a reason, as you consider the whole of Scripture, is that Maybe if Abimelech had taken Sarah to be his wife, it would have spoiled God's plan for the seed, for Isaac. Because God, remember in chapter 18, had told Sarah about a year or so, you're going to bear the seed. And I believe Satan was working overtime to try to destroy and thwart God's plan. Always did. Because that seed promise goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15, where God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You see, God, right from the point of the fall, had promised to, to mankind, as well as warned Satan, that he is going to win this battle. He is going to redeem people. He's going to rescue them. We just sang about that today. We're going to celebrate that today. And God says, this is going to happen. Your head's going to be crushed. Even though, Satan, even though Jesus was bruised on the cross, Satan's victory excuse me, Jesus' victory was won over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And that's why throughout history, Satan worked hard to try to thwart the seed plan, to keep it from continuing all the way to the, until the Lord Jesus Christ was born. And so really behind the scenes was more than just Abimelech wanting to marry a beautiful woman. It was Satan trying to keep the Redeemer from appearing on the earth. And it's serious, isn't it, isn't it? I think sometimes in our lives we don't realize what an impact our testimony, good or bad, can have, our actions can have on the program of God. Well, God intervened. He prevented it to happen, and then Abimelech approaches Abraham, and Abraham comes up with this lame excuse, doesn't he, in verse 11. And he says, you know, I, I thought, you know, and this is maybe somewhat demeaning to Abimelech, says, I thought you were going to kill me and take away my wife. I assumed you were this kind of person. <laughs> and that's often behind our fears, isn't it? Misconceptions, assumptions, thinking we know what's going to happen next. Sometimes we have fear because we think, what, we think we know what other people are thinking about us. 
or what people are gonna, how people are going to respond to us. And our imaginations just run wild, doesn't it? That's what's behind fear. Because we don't know the future, but faith is in a person who does. And we can rest in his care instead. And so instead of God, excuse me, Abraham coming to God as he approached Gerar, saying, Lord, keep, take care of me. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, help me to fear no evil, because you are with me. No, instead he comes up with the flesh's justification for his behavior. Rather than going to the Lord for wisdom, help, and direction, rather than trusting God for his well-being and just doing the right thing, because that's how God asks for of us. He says, I'll take care of tomorrow. You just do the right thing today. You walk by faith. You obey me. You submit to me today. And don't worry about the consequence. Don't let your imaginations and assumptions run wild to create a hopeless scenario in regards to your life. Walk by faith, not by sight, we're told. And so, if he, when Abraham approached Gerar, he should have done so in faith because his God knows the future. Because his God has promised sovereign care over his people. And because God just wants us to trust him when we cannot see. Does he not? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct our paths. Not he might, he, he might. Not he might direct them the way I want to go. He's going to direct them in the way he would have us to go, but we are secure in his arms. Whenever we get anxious, whenever we, f we fear, we're to what? We're, cast our, we're to cast our care upon him. We're in everything by prayer and supplication to make our requests known unto God. And that's when the peace of God. That's when you can enjoy a healthy fear of the Lord and rest in the peace of God because of his care for us. And fear just has this way of returning over and over and over again, does it not? But that's, and that's when we keep casting our cares to him. And then take the handle off your fishing reel and don't reel it back in. Because he cares for us. So then Abimelech restores, doesn't he? In verse 14, he... Uh, out of a fear of God, maybe a healthy fear, he restored Sarah, and then he gifted Abraham. It just seems backwards, doesn't it? He gifted him. At 14, he gave him all kinds of animals, restored Sarah. He, he, had, he had given him money, and he did the right thing. In the process, his behavior rebukes Sarah. And so here we have apparently is an unbeliever who has an awareness of maybe Jehovah God, a respect at least for his warnings. And maybe that's because he had just seen the smoke on the horizon. And his behavior rebukes a Christian. And that's kind of sad, isn't it? You know, sometimes you look around us and we see people that are involved in false religion, a religion that really has no life of power because apart from the gospel there is no power. Apart from the life of Christ, there is no life. And yet sometimes the cultists and the false religionists are more dedicated and sincere than believers, bringing conviction. And when we have the God of the universe living in us, we have a cause to live for. We have something worth dying for, worth giving things up for, worth prioritizing over everything on the face of the earth. And that's the cause of Christ, the one who loved us so much, his body was broken and his blood was spilt for you and I. It's a message we have to bring. It's a message Abraham should have brought to Gerar, 
Yet instead, he is rebuked and convicted by the behavior of, of what seems to be an ungodly king. Well, what's interesting then is that God here as well still uses Abraham as a prophet, he calls him in this chapter, in spite of himself. You'd think that God would just kind of take the page out of, out of the Abraham book and just throw it away and say, I'm going to find someone else. But we've got to remember, God gifts us and calls us not based upon our abilities or faithfulness or goodness. He chooses us because he chooses us. He gifts us because it's his will. And he uses us in spite of ourselves. In verse 7, God conditions the withholding of Abimelech's discipline on Abraham's praying for him. He says, you know, Abraham's going to pray for you. You better restore because if Abraham prays for you, you'll be, your household will be healed. And then we find in verse 17, that's what happened. Abraham prayed. I like to assume, and I'm just reading between the lines, and this is just my assumption, that in that prayer, Abraham made things right with his God and then prayed for Abimelech. And God did what he said he would do. He restored his household. You know, we don't have to come to a certain point of maturity or perfection to be used of the Lord, do we? Let's look at a few verses. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. And here's a few things. I'm just going to show you a few concepts what God asks of us. And though, yes, he's working on us. Yes, he wants us to be growing in grace and being conformed to the image of Christ. But Romans chapter 12, there's a couple, a few well-known verses here just to remind us what God asks of us. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do, not be trans and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The first thing he wants us to do is just be willing, yield ourselves, present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, set apart to his service. He just wants us to be willing. He doesn't say, you know, when you go to a certain amount of church services, when you read the Bible through, when you memorize X amount of verses, when you get into a certain point of legalistic maturity, now maybe I can use you. You know, first he just wants you to be willing. Present yourself. Recognize to who you belong. That's what holiness is, to be set apart to God. As a result of that, we are separated from the world. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, verse, or last week, verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but that's a byproduct of being set apart to God, because as we love the Lord, we'll increasingly hate evil, will we not? So be willing. That's what God wants, more than anything else. Nothing else matters. He just wants us to present ourselves to him. The second thing, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to see 2 Timothy chapter 2. As we wonder how God could use Abraham as who, one who made so many mistakes and so many blunders, was a bad testimony, almost created chaos, almost contributed to the thwarting of God's seed plan. But God in his grace uses us in spite of ourselves. 2 Timothy 2, verse 20. Let's start with verse 19. It says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having his seal the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and some of, 
and of clay, and some for honor, and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself for these, he would be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master's use, prepared for every good work. It's to be cleansed from ungodliness, as we did the message of this chapter. But at men's Bible study, we'd gone over this verse recently, and it's that cleansing. And I think what God wants us to be is that James states that if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will lift us up. And so what God wants from us is a humility that results in a confession, a repentance and a confession, a keeping short, a short slate. Keeping things right with our God, being a clean vessel. And that's what God wants here. He wants a clean vessels. It doesn't have to be a vessel that's perfect, a vessel that's clean. You see, God's job is the perfection part of it. He is the one who's doing the work in us. He's going to accomplish it in the day of Christ. And he's going to continue that work until that day we go to be the Lord when it comes to completion. In fact, as a side note to that, I would remind parents that even raising your children to be godly children, Christ-honoring children, you don't complete the job by the time they're 18. You've only just begun. You set them on a course, put them in the direction, and you know what? Your Heavenly Father doesn't even complete it in our lifetime. He's going to complete it when we go to glory but he's going to work on us. And that's our job, to get them, get them started on that path. And so perfection, maturity, Christ-likeness is God's job, but God wants us to be clean, clean vessels. And we do that when we are humble and honest before him and say, Lord, I blew it. I was wrong. I've said that's what Lot didn't do. If Lot had come clean before the Lord, he'd be operating in the fear of God rather than being afraid of God. And so God wants us to be willing. God wants, to, wants us to be clean or in humble confession. And let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A simple verse. I think I've mentioned it already, but we see it with our own spiritual eyes. And this... I'm in the wrong chapter. Maybe you, some of you can correct me. Where God tells us that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. What's that? It is verse 7. That's what I've written down here. What am I looking at? Well, 1 Corinthians for one thing. Yeah, there it is. Helps to be in the right book. A simple concept. Throughout scripture, we walk by faith and not by sight. God wants us to be dependent, is my third point after all that distraction. He wants us to be willing. He wants us to be clean. He wants us to be dependent on him. To walk by faith is exactly what Lot, his daughters, and Abraham did not do. And the results were not good, were they? Flesh always leads us in the wrong direction. But when we walk by faith, we look to God in confession and he restores, we can enjoy not only the peace of God in our own hearts and having things right with God, but God then does mighty things through those that are right with him. It's the old battle of the flesh versus the spirit, isn't it? And when we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Fear is a debilitating thing. It can be polarizing, can't it? Both physically or in spiritually. Yet that fear is a result of losing our focus on the great and good shepherd 
on the promises he's made to us. And it causes us to turn inward instead of upward. Leading to the disasters and darkness of the flesh that we read about in these chapters. But we've all been there. We've all done it. And we're thankful that mercy and forgiveness is available. That's what we celebrate at the cross. You know, we celebrate the Lord's table. We celebrate especially our eternal redemption. That our sins are forgiven once and for all and forever. But 1 John reminds us that based upon that death, there's also temporal or relational forgiveness available. Restoration, when we fail to trust God. He who confesses his sins shall not prosper, but he... The last part of the verse says, he who confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. And when we are willing to confess and forsake, because we're children of God, under the blood of the Lamb, God forgives and he restores. And the good news is, because Abraham apparently looked to the God once again and returned to the operation of faith, the next child, the first child in the line of the fulfillment of the seed promise is born. First one. God had promised it to Eve. He decided that promise would be fulfilled to the line of Abraham. And after Abraham and Sarah passed childbearing years, that promise is fulfilled and kept all the way to the birth of Christ. You see, God is in control ultimately, isn't he, in spite of us? That's the good news maybe behind his stories that he is sovereign God, he can accomplish his plan in spite of the fickleness of our flesh and the directions we go. And that should encourage us all the more to trust him with our tomorrows and in simple faith obey him today. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for uh, your grace and your mercy, Father. And as we've seen in these chapters, the not only in this study even, the, the successes of faith, Father, that you accomplish when your children trust you, we also see the failures of the flesh when we do things our own way. And Father, may we learn to just, in simple faith, to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. May that be the desires of our hearts, Father. And may we be thankful today for the acceptance we have in Christ. And Father, that somehow, in your power and your grace and your mercy, your long-suffering, your patience, you use sinners, save sinners, who are willing to simply look to you those who are willing to present themselves to you, those who are willing to be humble and, and have a, a spirit of confession and humility before you, to be clean before you, and those who are willing to depend on you. Father, that's all you ask of us, and somehow you're able to accomplish your will, forward your program. And so, Father, may these things be true of us today, and especially now as we turn to the Lord's table and celebrate and proclaim the death of our Savior. Father, may our hearts rejoice in him and may you lift us up and glorify our Savior now in Jesus' name.